This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. In this episode, artificial intelligence scientist and Buddhist teacher Nikki Mirgafori and computer scientist Steve Omohundro discuss how the concept of karma can guide us as we push forward towards creating non-human intelligence. This talk was recorded on November 2nd, 2017 in front of a live audience in San Francisco. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. So, so we wanted to start by um, how we met, how this came about, because we've known each other for, what did we figure out, for 24 years. So how did we meet, Steve? Remember? So we were at uh, the International Computer Science Institute in Berkeley, uh, both working on AI topics. And uh, were you doing Buddhism at that time? I, don't I wasn't. 24 years ago, I wasn't. No, I was actually, uh, I was in graduate school at UC Berkeley and, and working at, at uh, ICSI, International Computer Science Institute. And you were a staff scientist. We were both working on AI stuff. AI stuff. And then I got more interested in spirituality and psychology and so on in the yeah. years since that time. So it's sort of an interesting parallel evolution. Yeah, yeah, and and I became more interested in Buddhism and and uh, have done a lot of um, uh, practice, retreat practice. I think cumulatively I've spent over a year in silence practicing and, and have been teaching for uh, for a while, for years. So, um, yeah, that's a little about our background and we're happy to tell you more about it later. So, so Steve, what is AI? Give us a historical perspective. So our topic today is AI and karma. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start by talking a little about AI, and you'll tell us about we'll karma. A little bit, tiny bit. <clears throat> tiny bit, tiny just bit. to sort of set the frame. <laughs> and then let me just say, before we start, why I'm excited that, to have this audience. That I think we're at a really critical moment in human history where this technology is in the process of transforming everything, and that we don't want those decisions about where it goes to be made by purely technologists or capitalists that it really needs a much broader perspective. In particular, I think it needs a spiritual and a psychological perspective. So I'm really, really happy to have a larger audience for some of these issues than, than the typical ones. Um, so AI, the word artificial intelligence, uh, was coined in the late 1950s. Uh, and basically, an AI system is a computer program that makes decisions that, when you look at it, they look like they were smart. They were trying to achieve some goal, and they were pretty good at it. And uh, the idea of AI, of having machines that might think, really came before the term was officially coined in the 1940s. Uh, some of the early creators of computers, uh, Alan Turing in particular and John von Neumann, both were also very interested in how the mind works and could a computer be a thinking machine. And so they wrote books about that in the 1940s. And it's really fascinating to look back at those books at that time, mm -hmm. how prescient they were in seeing what's going on now. AI as a field has had many ups and downs. In the late 1950s, early 1960s, they were ecstatic. They thought it was, you know, in two or three years, the machines they had were going to take over everything, and, you know, it's going to be great. We're going to get rid of all human labor. It's all going to be wonderful. And then things didn't quite work the, the way they thought, and then there'd be a crash, or all these people saying, oh, this whole field is garbage. There have been a number of what people call AI winters, 
where mm. suddenly all funding you know, dried up and a lot of real scientists, physicists said, oh, this is a, a garbage That's field, right. it's nothing real. And, and you and I have been through some of those winters. Yeah. In fact, there was a time that it was not cool to say you were working in AI. You were just, it was not cool. Exactly. So all kinds of other names, machine intelligence, right. expert systems, machine learning, machine learning. Machine vision, all, machine every, you know, and the field sort of fragmented into these smaller things that were more respectable, yeah. like recognizing characters. That That's was right. a real problem, or speech recognition, which That's you worked right. a lot in. That yeah. was a real problem. It was clear. It was not all this fuzzy, you know, uh, fake stuff. Right. And right. so right. the field has sort of swung back and forth, and it's also swung between two poles. Ways of thinking about human thinking. One is the symbolic approach, where Thoughts are symbols like mathematical logic, mm -hmm. and, ma and thinking is like a mathematical proof. So that was one branch of, of AI. The other branch was, no, it's all neurons. The brains were made of 86 billion neurons, these little cells that transmit signals, and they are all connected together in some complicated way, and they somehow learn from their experience. And you just throw a bunch of stuff together, and it'll magically learn by itself. That's what real thinking is. And these two poles, a pendulum has swung back and forth between them, and big fights would come between those two. And uh, so the, the, the more symbolic one, I think, was probably viewed as more serious. And the AI people, like in the 80s, um, uh, the, the, the neural nets were sort of, they got a burst of energy. People, in the 60s, they had this single neuron called the perceptron, mm -hmm. which worked pretty well for certain simple problems, but then they showed in the 70s, no, I can't solve hard problems. People gave up on it, and they said, oh, that neural net stuff was garbage. And then in the 80s, they figured out, oh, you could have three layers. You could have layers okay. of three of these, and it could solve harder problems. And then everybody got all excited, but then it kind of faded away. Well, 2012, right. very recently, right. they had the idea of deep learning, which was, it's, let's make 10 layers. And dog. they figured out how to make that it's, work. Exactly. There were some tricks which, and which techniques. In a way, it has been around for a long, long time, actually. It's just neural networks that, actually, I did my thesis uh, on, on deep, I mean, deep learning. Right now, nowadays, it's called deep learning, but in those days, we just call it neural networks. Um, but, but now, it's all the rage. The last five years, yeah. those things have started solving mm -hmm. all these problems that mm -hmm. we couldn't solve back in the 80s. And part of it has to do with the increase in the computational power that's available. I mean, that's the reason. Yeah. And the training sets. One of the great lessons is you need to train these things and you need large, large right. data sets. So the internet made the entire world's knowledge, yeah. entire world's speaking. If you're using an Android phone, well, they're using all your voice as training. Um, all the data on the internet, all of that is training data now, which is rapidly yeah. building models of humanity's knowledge. Right. So, so in some ways, actually, what, what uh, we've been saying in speech recognition, which is one of the areas that I've done a lot of research in, is that so in terms of technology, there have been some advances, but really what has made this AI spring, if we can call it that, happen again is because of um, computational power becoming much cheaper and much faster. So the same old algorithms now can run a lot faster, number crunching a lot faster. And also the price of uh, storage has has rock bottom. So, so you can store a lot of data. You can do um, all your computational modeling on a lot more data. And the models uh, can become smarter because they have a lot more data available. In fact, we have a saying in my field, which is, there is no data like more data. And I remember going to conferences where, you know, um, a researcher would show this sophisticated, complicated algorithm they had um, uh, implemented and, you know, they had gotten like tiny bit of improvement. And then 
they had just doubled the amount of data that they had trained on and they had improved like twice as much. Like, okay, duh, you just use more data. So, so that has been part of the, the spring, AI spring, just to give you a context of why AI is now in the news and is, is succeeding in all these problems. Th those are the, the factors behind it. Yeah. So we're talking about AI and karma. So what is karma? <laughs> I thought you would ask at some point. So, so karma, it's interesting, you know, we, we, we throw around um, in the West, especially the term karma, rather willy-nilly, like, oh, it's my karma, I'm, I'm having a bad day, this bad thing happened, it's my karma, or this person, um, some, if, if you get sick, you think, oh, my, I might have done something bad in, in this life or previous life. But karma, really, that's not a helpful or productive or appropriate way for that teaching. So I just wanted to bring that, to, to, to put that ahead and, uh, and, and, and up front. So what karma is, really what the teaching of the karma is. In Buddhism, it has to do with action. The word actually means action. Um, and it has to do with law of cause and effect. And also inherent in understanding of karma is intention. So, so the same action uh, done with different intention can have different karmic effects. So say, um, imagine this scenario where there is one person who uh, uses a knife and slits the uh, slits another person open in their stomach. Okay, in one case, the person could be a thief and trying to steal their belongings. There is a different karmic result, karmic effect. In the second case, it could be a doctor cutting the person open in order to perform an operation and serve their life. It's a very different intention, therefore a different karmic effect, karmic result. So, so. Intention really is really important in in um, in the teaching of karma. And another um, thing to really consider important in karma is that it's actually not um, uh, it's it's an empowerment. It's a teaching about empowerment because this moment's actions are really condition the next moment. So if, if this moment's actions, and by the way, actions, when we say actions in Buddhism, it's actions of thinking, speech, and and physical action. So thoughts are also considered actions of the mind. So, so this moment's actions, conditions, preconditions the next moment, whether it's going to have a good outcome, or a, 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 whether there is goodness or or ill in the next moment. So, um, so for example, if I think thoughts of gratitude in in this moment, that I'm oh, I'm just so glad to be here, and this is my good old friend. I really like you, Steve. How nice! Ah, it just brings a good a a, a wholesome state of mind. Um, uh, and it also preconditions me to be kind, say nice things, my heart rate will go down, I'll get relaxed. But if I remember that one time I wanted a paper and you didn't give it, to, you didn't lend me the book I wanted, by the way, I'm just making this up, and, and I'm really angry at you seething here and like, that 
that unwholesome uh, thing, you know, anger, if I want to take revenge, if I want to say something not really, uh, you know, take revenge for, for that act, ooh, ouch, I'm all tight, uh, my heart rate is going to go up, you can think about it physically, cortisol is going to be uh, um, in, in my body, and, and also I, um, my mind state is not going to be happy and I might do something that, again, will have bad, quote-unquote bad, repercussions, etc. So really, the, the, one way to think about, uh, to, to understand karma is in the present moment intention, how it preconditions the next, but not looking back. So just wanted to, I mean, we're not going to cover that in tonight with respect to, to karma, with respect to AI, but I did want to clear that misconception that usually people have about what the teaching of karma actually is and isn't. So and there's the one life model, there is the rebirth model, but I think I'll, I'll just uh, uh, let those be and, um, and encourage a don't know mind. Because tonight here, we don't have all the answers. We have a lot of questions and a lot of reflections for, for all of us to really sit with. And Perhaps we don't know. We don't know um, what it, what the future will bring. But really, um, loving and living the questions themselves, as Rilke says. Beautiful. So what I hear in what you said is that intentions matter a lot mm -hmm. and that the outcomes you get depend a lot on what your intentions are. Because we're facing probably the most powerful technology that humanity has ever created, our intentions matter especially much in this area. And so one of my big goals is to get us thinking about that. Right now, I mean, AI funding from its inception was primarily from the military. The military very quickly got the idea that, oh, robot soldiers, that's a great idea. Instead of having people out in the field, we'll have robots out there. And even maybe if you're you know, ethical anti-war, maybe our robots fighting their robots is better than our people fighting their people. So, you know, maybe that's an improvement, but then you start thinking about, well, what happens when you got robot soldiers everywhere? Where does that lead? And so if that's your one and only focus, probably that's not a world that we want to end up in. Mm -hmm. The next way this thing started working and was happening right now mm -hmm. is the capitalists, the big businesses that have suddenly realized that, oh my God, this technology can improve our productivity and can make us lots of money. And so uh, the, the consulting firm McKinsey has estimated that in the next 10 years, robotics and AI potentially could create $50 trillion of value. That's a huge number. The entire United States gross domestic product is about $18 trillion a year. And so we're talking about a massive tsunami on the world economic stage by these technologies. And so that has led to lots and lots and lots of investment. There are now something like 1,500 AI startup companies funded around $15 billion. And the Japanese company SoftBank recently announced a $100 billion investment fund in these technologies, which was unheard of. That mm. was way outsized from right. anything. And then just a few days ago, a few weeks ago, they said, no, that wasn't big enough. We're going to up it. And when you look at the numbers they're talking about, it's $880 billion of investment. Wow. China also realizes this is really big. Um, they have committed that they want to be the world leader in AI in the next five years. And so we're talking about a massive economic and political force mm -hmm. that is happening all around the world right the now. The race is on. race is on. And it's driven primarily by military economic at the moment. And so one of the things I would like to see, this is not going to just affect those aspects of humanity. It's going to affect 
all aspects of humanity, hopefully in positive ways. Um, I like to use the Maslow hierarchy, Maslow hierarchy. There's a mathematician called Maslow, so I'm always mixing those two up. Uh, he was the psychologist that was one of the first psychologists to look at what actually makes people's lives wonderful, what makes them truly happy, and what makes it meaningful. And he created this hierarchy, simple way to think about it. The base level is you need to be physiologically, uh, have your needs met, food, water, shelter. You need safety, nobody's attacking you. You need social connection and love, relationships. Uh, you need to have esteem, like you're doing something uh, effectively in the world. You want self-actualization, your ability to actually manifest your purpose in the world. And then some people get to self-transcendence, where you actually contribute to something larger than yourself. And that sort of, in studying a whole bunch of people, the people who felt their lives were very effective, they were meeting those needs. If you look at them, AI affects every single one of those layers, and it can affect it either in a positive way or in a negative way. So I would like to see us being very conscious about what it is we're trying to create, you know, these technologies are coming. The technologists are sort of just excited about the technology and they're working on it. The businesses are excited about making money. And so we need somebody who's holding the highest values of humanity there, saying this is a vision for where we would like to end up. Right. And yeah. so that, for me, is the karmic aspect. What is our intention as yeah. we move forward? Exactly. And also, as you, as you were saying, the technologists, you know, technologists are us. And we also, as consumers, whether we're technologists or consumers, we really have um, a say and as voters. Um, so by starting to think about what we want our society to look like, um, which is actually, in a way, it's not so different um, from the thinking that we need to be doing anyway. What do we want, what do we want to manifest in the world? Uh, the way we show up, the way our work um, in influences others. Um, so the, the difference is that AI makes things um, by orders of magnitude more intense, the, the, the impact um, that, that people can have, either individuals um, or societies in general. Um, As we were saying earlier, in, yeah. in some sense, AI is almost a universal amplifier. Yeah. Any human intention or human action, that human in conjunction with AI and robotics can amplify that either the positive or the negative. Yeah. So I remember when we were talking about uh, this conversation earlier, we are thinking about, so one, for example, wealthy person who can have l lots and lots of AI soldiers. That could be the negative. Or or in the in the um, good, uh, lots and lots of AI nurses. I don't know. Many things that you you can think about, either good or, or evil. I think it also, one of the really exciting things that I find very inspiring is our current political system has a pretty coarse feedback channel from the population to our government. You know, we in the U.S. we vote, what, once every two years, and our votes are like A or B. You know, so you're not really expressing the depth of your humanity and having the government listen to that. Um, with AI systems, it's possible to create things where you can say exactly what you care about and how much you care about different things. And potentially, if you do it right, these systems could aggregate the intentions and goals of an entire population and really make policies that serve the fullness of the population rather than a few special interest groups. Yeah. So when we're discussing, um, we talked about a lot of different specific, specific verticals where AI has been making advances and, and changes. It would be interesting to actually talk about some of those verticals, if, yeah. you, if you would. Um, that's sort of on the economic sphere of things, yeah. but um, it's fascinating to look at almost every 
um, business that's, mm-hmm. that's driving the economy today. For instance, the number one employer in almost every state in the United States is truck driving. And there are a bunch of companies working on self-driving cars, and in particular, their number are working on self-driving trucks. And on the stepping back, on the pure economic point of view, that can be way more efficient, way fewer uh, car and truck accidents. I think there's something like a million people a year get killed by, worldwide by, by um, autonomous vehicles. And so amazing, wonderful, great, except that's the biggest employer at the moment. And so we're going to have big social shifts as a result of that, that kind of a thing. Huge increases in efficiency, but we need to make sure that those efficiencies sort of are distributed throughout the society, I would say. Uh, another area, healthcare. Um, robotic surgeons is becoming a thing. I just saw a talk by somebody who is building a robot to do hair transplants. Apparently, hair transplant surgery uh, is pretty straightforward. You take hair from one place and you put it someplace else, but really tiring. It takes hours, and a human surgeon gets tired and he forgets. Whereas a robot, you know, can just do that no problem. And so, you know, perfect use. Um, brain surgery. Robots, they can match what's going on with an MRI and what's going on with, with very, you know, great precision. So unbelievable potential in the healthcare area. Business in general, business operations. Uh, tracking what's happening in a factory, having sensors all over the place, optimizing everything to really be more efficient in the usage of power. Um, smart assistants who really know everything that's happening in a company, know exactly the thing that if you were to do this, that would really provide the best benefit. And then there's some more dicey things like all the marketers. Marketers love AI because first of all, they can know exactly what it is that you like and they know what buttons to push, right? So you think things are addictive today. Imagine when you have an AI that knows exactly what you like that can it precisely generate new images that will be the most seductive thing for you at that moment. Is this good? Is this bad? So almost all of these that have a sort of potentially negative effect, AI can also serve as the the defense for that. And so let's say some marketer is trying to convince you to buy their new car and they have you driving that car and you can see it and you can see how your life is so much better in this car. Oh my God, you're almost going to go buy the car. Well, then you have your own private AI that says, now, Steve, you told me that should you ever get into this thing where you're about to buy a car, that you wanted me to come in and really, let me show you what is really going on here. You know? And so individuals could have AIs that serve as a defense against, say, a corporate AI that is trying to manipulate you, possibly. Um, this recent election we had, there was a company called Cambridge Analytica uh, in, based in, in uh, England, and they're taking credit for the Trump win. They're also taking credit for the Brexit win and for a number of other elections. They built personality models of every person in the United States, and they targeted uh, p- political messages specifically to people's personalities. And so there's controversy over whether they really had that much impact, but they were definitely there. And is this good? Is this bad? Uh, ability to manipulate a population, a population's emotion, the emotions of a population, the thinking of a population. I mean, that's tremendous. And so how do we make sure it's, it's done for good, good purposes? Yeah. Um, also, it would be interesting to talk about perhaps some of the more positive effects. Uh, uh, for example, we talked about uh, pollution, eco-policing, and you had some really fun examples there. Oh, yeah, there's a lot going on there. I mean, we have a horrible, horrible pollution problem right now. There's like a floating uh, bunch of garbage in the middle of the ocean the size of Texas. 
um, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so if you, and if you had enough people to go monitor, uh, you know, the ocean and make sure nobody's dumping anything or go to the rainforest and make sure people aren't cutting down trees, uh, then you could stop it. But it's just impractical today with people. On the other hand, AIs will be cheap and plentiful. And there's a <clears throat> little group that's taking used cell phones, which nobody wants because they're not powerful enough, and they're putting them in the rainforest uh, with solar power to sort of detect if anybody's using chainsaws near there. And if they do, then they send out a signal and connect. And so uh, similarly, in some of the ecosystems in the ocean which have been damaged, um, jellyfish have come in, and massive numbers of jellyfish are coming in and crowding out other species and causing all kinds of problems and killing coral and all this. So somebody has developed a little jellyfish-eating uh, robot sort of like a vacuum cleaner that goes around the ocean, around these corals, and just gets rid of uh, some of the, the extra jellyfish. And so, um, you know, and similarly, global warming. There are people who are trying to find new solutions where if you can measure what's actually going on and what's actually generating polluting elements and techniques and ways of diverting or changing that, AI systems can go in and really fix a lot of the problems that our earlier technologies have been creating. Right. And also the um, energy, for example, solar cells, fossil fuels. Yeah, the cost of manufacturing costs. Of, so one of the things that has driven the technology world is something called Moore's Law, which is every year and a half, the cost for a given amount of computation on silicon uh, halves. And so we've had this amazing engine pushing the development of, like you were saying, um, storage capacity, computational capacity, the whole rise of the internet, all of that has been driven by this Moore's law. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out the same thing is happening in solar cells, where the cost of solar cells is dropping even faster than that. And uh, we're very quickly getting to the point where using, I'm sure that in the future they're gonna look back and say, you were burning oil? <laughs> Oh my God, that oil is the most precious thing for building incredible you know, hydrocarbons and stuff, and you are burning it, you know, causing pollution and all this. So uh, a lot of people now realize, oh, why, are, why do we have gasoline-powered cars? You know, why isn't everything electric? And um, the capacity to build large solar plants um, with uh, robots, it'll be very, very inexpensive. And uh, at some point, you'll have sort of self Right. Uh, replicating big factories. You'll have a sort of, take a shipping crate, drop it in a desert somewhere, and unfolds a big big solar power thing and starts manufacturing stuff. So the cost of manufacturing is likely to drop dramatically, okay. which will give material abundance to humanity, way more material, way more energy. Um, we have to make sure we use it in a good way, and that it's the, the issue of how, is, how it is distributed is also yeah. important. I think the issue of distribution is really important. For, for example, if we think about a company like Amazon nowadays that, that has um, robots in so many parts of the company, which is why you get, you know, whatever you order within two hours or however many, or, and, and also, um, what's it called? Um, drones. Yeah, drones dropping your... So all of the, these are examples of different... Uh, artificial intelligence robotic systems basically so so we all love the convenience and yet we know that mom and pop stores have been going out of business so it's really that that is one aspect of the whether you would say ethical consequences or the karmic consequences of the intentionality of how our society is going to be changing and um, and I think wealth distribution um, really becomes an important question whether whether an AI driven AI powered world would be a very small percentage of haves and a huge population of n have nots because of this dist um, 
this poor distribution of 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 wealth in this way. So, yeah, I, I think of the, the the dystopia there is what yeah. you just said. The robot owners are the ones who own everything. Yeah. Uh, the utopia is. Yeah. The whole notion of, of our current ideas about work is really quite antiquated. In fact, if you look before the era of agriculture, you know, say 15,000 years ago, most people, Stone Age people, they go into the forest, they get a little, you know, fruit and stuff. It takes about three hours a day to collect the food they need, and then they would hang out and they raise the children, have fun, talk around the campfire. That's sort of the real environment that we're adapted to. It was only agriculture that really pushed us into this, oh, we got to work really hard all day, mm -hmm. every day. And, and early on, 10,000 years mm -hmm. ago, that was true. Today, only about 2% of the population actually does anything we need for sustenance. Mm -hmm. No, there are probably no farmers in the audience, right? <laughs> and so, so interestingly, everything we do, it makes people's lives better. It's great. It's good. I'm glad we're doing it. But we really don't need to be doing that. And so our whole notion of you've got to work at least eight hours a day, oh, you're mm -hmm. only working eight hours? Man, you're a slacker. You know, I work 12 hours a day. That's really not our human embodiment. And so the rise of the robots could be, you know, from one perspective, any job a robot can do, can be, can do why should a human be doing mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. And so I'd be, I'd say let them have those jobs. That's great. You know, assembly line worker jobs is not a job for, for humans. Yeah. And so potentially we have a new flowering of yeah. human creativity, of connection, yeah. of love, uh, but we have to structure things so exactly. that that's, that's the outcome. And I think that become, uh, becomes really important the way we think about uh, the social structure and really the political structure, etc. Um, they're, they're all connected. And in a way, that relates to karma because the law of karma is is complicated. It's not necessarily that you do one thing and, and the next moment, uh, there is instant karma, as I talked about. But the law of karma, the Buddha says, is one of the four imponderables that if you try to uh, comprehend the details exactly and try to logically understand it, you will go mad. So, um, since we don't want to do that. Um, so, given that there's so much complexity in the causality and the causes and conditions of what happens in your mind and in the world, similarly, I think there's a parallel between what we're talking about, um, artificial intelligence and and the uh, empowerment of, of humans through robotic machinery. Um, and the um, poor distribution of wealth that that can potentially create is really then connected to the society we want to create and the political system. They're really connected. So in one vision, we can have the dystopia, and in another vision, we can have the utopia. So they're all really dependent. And it's interesting. It, along those lines of how you yeah. frame things, I think it's in Britain. They've started floating the idea, maybe there should be a robot tax. Maybe that's how we deal with it. And there's the idea of a universal basic income, that every citizen should have uh, be paid a, a certain amount, which is enough for survival, um, just as a part of being a citizen. Mm. And there are experiments like that going around. People are sort of playing with those ideas. None of them quite feel right. The taxing the robot thing, well, that makes the robot companies, no, we don't want our technology taxed. There's another view, which is that as a sort of a result of being a human, this gift, in some sense, of this new technology, which is suddenly going to create productivity, you should get shares in that technology. And so we should view you know, the, the economic power of all this new AI and robotics as part of the human endowment. 
and that when you're born as a human, you should have a, a certain number of shares in that, if you think of it as some big company, and that, that those shares pay dividends, which may support you over your whole lifetime. And that's another view that, that uh, has a different kind of feeling to it's it. An inter- yeah. has an interesting feeling to it. And that reminds me, so this, um, there, there are three ways in which bringing... Um, that the karmic effects really come in and get, um, uh, get there's an explosion of the karmic effect probably with with um, with with AI. So one is one one way to think about it as we're talking about it more and more is this amplification of karmic results that humans being empowered by the the power of machines by hundreds thousands millions of little critters um, the the effect of the intentionality could be multiplied by orders of magnitude so that's one way that uh, that uh, karma and AI that's the intersection another place of the intersection for us to uh, to consider and we haven't really thought about it, talked about it yet is um, is AI as human prosthetics. So as there are more and more companies coming out with chip implants and various parts of our body to become superhuman. So we become partly human, partly machine. Well, we already are kind of partly machine, right? We're carrying our iPhones and our, our, our uh, well, I carry an iPhone, though. let's just say a smartphone or, or not a smart, yeah, a dumb phone. What? Um, uh, and and wear various kinds of technologies that empower you in ways. So in the future, um, having those implanted and having different implants that can imp- increase your memory, can perhaps increase the power of your thinking, your communication, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So what are the implications to think about? What are the implications, the karmic implications of us being partly machine, partly partly human? Um, and last but not least, what perhaps there is most fear about uh, in the world is about, oh, completely intelligent robots that are just like human beings. Uh, what if they take over? Um, what if, um, and then what is the karmic consequence of interacting with these robots? Um, what if you kill a robot? Is there a karmic consequence? Um, um, what uh, and 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 also do, uh, do robots have karma themselves? So these are some some thoughts that I can I can vax philosophy about. Some people are nodding. Okay, I can vax philosophy about. Um, so so in terms of the the first one we've talked most about um, with the amplification of the results. Of course, whatever your intention, the, the individual intention is in good good or bad, that can be amplified. Um, by orders of magnitude. In the second case, in terms of the prosthetics, um, I would think that as long as we're still mostly human, the, with with our consciousness, what however consciousness is defined, again, that's similar to the first case because it's an amplification of the abilities to have that that you already have, and again, the intention there determines the the karmic results. Really, um, in the Third examples interacting with uh, car with with machines. With again, we can talk more about whether uh, we think that fully 
um, human machines are possible or not. We have slightly different takes perhaps on that, but but assuming that that might be possible at some point, um, again, I would say that for a human being, um, the, um, the, the karma rests in the intention of what is the intention. Are you killing or unplugging a machine because you want to go and rob the bank or is it because you are stopping that machine from doing something ill, harming another person. So it's really in the in the intentionality again. And and whether um, a um, a fully well again assuming that a fully human uh, AI system is possible, um, do do they have karma? Do they create karma? So that's an interesting question. So first of all, who knows? In a way, it's good to hold it with a don't know mind. It's good not to say, okay, give me the answer. I want to believe that. And for us to just sit with, with the question. But again, as I... So before we go down that, yeah, I want to say me. a few comments on the yeah, prosthetic please, piece. Please. Which is, I, I totally agree that a person with a cell phone yeah. is a very different creature than that person alone. Yeah. And you, know, you go on any uh, BART train and you see that we got a lot of those kind of creatures around, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so this, that technology, which is pretty low intelligence, is already dramatically changing us. And one of the effects that maybe wasn't so obvious it was going to happen is that people offload tasks that they used to do themselves that the phone can do, like, say, navigating on a map. People offload it, right? So a lot of people don't know directions anymore because, oh, my phone tells me that. Even worse, the New York Times recently had a thing where they asked, I think it was 2,000 random Americans, where North Korea was. And they had a map of Asia. And they had people put where, where it was. 30% of Americans know where North Korea is. That, that was cool. 70% of Americans, they thought it was down in India. Some thought Japan was North Korea. So clearly geography is another one of those things I think we've offloaded. Yeah, Google will tell me where it is if I ever need to know, right? And so we sort of lose some of our capacity in that way. And um, a lot of parents, Alexa is the uh, Amazon uh, speaking uh, agent that you sort of sit in your house. I have one. I like it. It's nice. Um, kids love it because you can talk to Alexa. You can ask Alexa to tell you jokes, and it never gets mad. It's always nice. The parents sort of like it because, oh, yeah, little junior is really entertained by this thing. But Alexa does not require you to say please or thank you. And so kids tend to slip into a commanding tone. Alexa, tell me a joke now. And then they get used to doing that. Well, they do that with their friends, too. And then they start doing it with their parents. And so parents are like, oh, my God, Alexa's turning my kid into a jerk. And so, <laughs> and so there are, like, secondary consequences of interacting with these things as they begin to take on more roles. Yeah. An area that I'm really interested in, I love art and I love music, but I've never been a very good artist. I've never been a very good musician. And there's starting to be programs where if you have an idea about music, but you can't play, you don't know music theory, you can get this program to generate the music that you're thinking about. And you can say, not quite that, move over there, move over there. And so, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? I mean, I'm sort of excited, like, oh wow, these, I, these musical thoughts I've had but could never express, suddenly they'll be possible. Or same with art, that let's say you can't draw, but you really have a, a vision, you have an aesthetic for what a beautiful painting would be. What if you had an AI system where you could describe what you wanted and it could generate it for you? And we're very close to that right now. And is that going to be a wonderful new flowering of art artistry, or is this going to be a sort of perversion of what it is to be art? I'm I'm sure people will argue for both. Yeah, it can it can be. A, um, I appreciate what you brought up with the Alexa um, example because that brings up another thought for me as it relates to karma. Actually, so another aspect of karma is 
the habits of the mind. So um, habits really um, are the karmic tendencies. So, for example, if you tend to be, um, if, if you get angry once and that will predispose you to become angry more. And in, in, in a way, actually, that ties in with neuroscience also, the, the neurons that uh, fire together, wire together, these grooves that get set in your mind. So with karma, the kar- uh, karmic patterns, habitual patterns get set also, and then you um, behave the same way in an angry way over and over again. And, and then your state of mind, your state of body, all your actions, all your interactions become anger-ridden. So with the example of Alexa, um, if the kid starts to... To, ha- to set this pattern, this have this habit of rudeness, that is a habit pattern that will become their karmic tendency through life. So those are other things to really consider about the way that we interact with computers um, and with artificial intelligence systems. Of course, we can use that in the positive way, yeah, too. Yeah. I, I do something called nonviolent communication, which is a simple but beautiful way of being more empathetic. But it's hard. If you're not used to that way of speaking, it gets, you know, it's a challenge. Uh, I can imagine AI systems that would help you learn to do that and would give you feedback sort of in real time and help you develop those desired habits. Exactly. So basically, as we're going with this back and forth, what, what we're demonstrating in our conversation is that really... The karmic result, the karma of, of the action uh, really depends on not just the technology. The technology itself, it's agnostic. Yeah. But it really depends on how it is used, um, one way or the, for good or for evil. So, so now I want to go back to the potential, pot- uh, potentially intelligent beings, mm-hmm. whether or not they would, there would be one and whether uh, they would have karma what does karma mean so so um with karma again it depends on the um the belief system whether one subscribes to a one life model or an instant karma what do you do in in this life in the next moment or or actually um the the um uh karmic results of an action coming to fruition um, not in in the immediate time, but later, and usually, and usually the teaching is offered internally. So mind state, for example, if I've done something um, that I'm really um, that that that, was, that I, say if I killed someone years and years ago, the chances are that I will come back up again and again and be be um, be processed. In fact, um, as I teach silent retreats. It's very common when people come on silent retreats and they, their mind really, really settles and quiets. Many memories that they haven't had for years, childhood memories, they come up vividly, things that haven't been processed. Either good memories or bad memories, but these are um, things that, that come up and get processed. So in a, so relating that to karma and, and the state of mind, thoughts and how um, thoughts, actions cause either good or, or bad states of mind, um, happiness or unhappiness, for example, um, in the in the long, um, not just in the next moment, but in the long term after many many years uh, or decades. So, this is still the one life model, but there's also the rebirth model that I'll just refer to because we are talking about karma after all, and I'm a, I teach Buddhism, and that. No, I like to hold that with a don't know mind. Um, and 
the teaching there is about karmic potentiality, that there is some residue of actions that when, um, in, in the case of rebirth, then they get passed on. So who knows? Let's hold that with a don't-know mind. But coming back, tying that in with, with um, uh, potentially fully intelligent beings, so the idea of, of results, karmic results in the world, um, I think that would be the same, but there's not so much that intention. There's not that idea of intention. So I would say that actually that really rests with the creators, with the programmers that have programmed these systems to be the way they are. Um, because uh, even though the, the, the results in the world might manifest in a way, but but there isn't really a sense of intentionality in in automatic systems. Um I would agree with you about today's systems. Yeah. Today's systems, like Alexa, pretty much do what their programmers intend. Mm -hmm. They may exhibit some unexpected behaviors. Um, we're seeing there's a program called AlphaGo that beat the world champion in Go. And in Asia, at least, Go was viewed as a quintessential human game with, you know, human creativity was absolutely central. And when AlphaGo um, beat the world champion, uh, I have some friends from Korea, people in Korea were crying in the streets. I mean, it had a huge, huge impact. And it sort of suddenly sort of readjusted people's sense of, well, what is quintessentially human? And so, um, and that program played moves that no human has ever played. And human experts in Go studied the AlphaGo games to learn how to play Go better. Mm -hmm. And so that's an example where the general, you know, thrust of that program certainly was determined by the programmers. The actual individual moves, there's no way to say that those came from the programmer. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's going to happen more generally, and we're going to end up with systems which are doing stuff that, you know, if this robot kills somebody, you can't say it was the programmer that did it. You have to assign the culpability to that robot. Well, what's our how is our legal system going to handle that? Um, already there was a funny example some artists did, I think it was in Holland, where they uh, set up a, a little bot, uh, they gave it some money, some Bitcoin, and they hooked it up to the dark web where all nefarious things happen. And they had it just randomly surf the dark web and order stuff. And so it got pill, ecstasy pills, it got lockpicks, I think it got some guns, all kinds of stuff came flowing in. And then they had an art exhibit where they hung all this stuff up on the wall. And they wanted to see, well, how are the police going to deal with this? And the police, I thought, were actually quite brilliant. They let the art exhibit go. But when the art exhibit closed, they came in and they arrested the, the robot. They took it and they stuck it in the jail. <laughs> so that's like the first case, first case law that, oh, this system was responsible for this stuff which was illegal. And, uh, but I think we're going to have to really rethink what is responsibility, what is culpability. And the issue, we talked a little earlier about what our views, like my view and I think your view is that um, intelligence is something that, yeah, these systems are going to do. They're going to be able to solve problems, mm -hmm. they're going to be able to solve harder and harder problems. When it gets to more human things like consciousness or qualia, the sense of what a, a, an experience is, um, then it's more iffy. And I think we won't know until, until these things are built. And when you talk about you know, past lives or multiple lives, all those things, I think then, then we get even more. But how are people going to respond when you have a system which says, I'm conscious, I'm just as conscious as you? you know, what makes you think I'm not conscious? Um, what is that going to do to our own sense of consciousness? And what is that going to do to our view of this entity? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it, 
um, I think it really comes to the question of, as you raised, qualia and what consciousness is. And I think given that even as human beings, we don't really have a good handle on what consciousness is. After hundreds of years, philosophers and neuroscientists and everybody thinks about it, but we actually don't know what consciousness is. And that's one area for us to really, as human beings, have humility about because we don't know what it is. Um, And some people are materialists and claim that, oh, consciousness is just what gets created when this machine with this sets of neurons work together uh, and but there are also some um actually i'm thinking of some near death studies that were that that were just um i think published recently about people who had a um a brain death um um and were and had um, were able to hear and see what was going on. So basically, the technology wasn't working in their in their brain anymore. The machinery wasn't there, but there was consciousness still operating. And, and after they came back to life, after they started, you know, their their heart started to beat, etc. The reporter of what they had seen and heard. Um, so and Sam Parnia, if anybody wants to look it up, that's the recent work that he's done and published. Um, so that really brings to question what consciousness is and is consciousness dependent on this machinery because yes we'll have machinery with with these intelligent semi-intelligent beings um but consciousness i don't think so Mm. i'm actually i'm going to put a flag down Mm. (laughs) in the sand yeah so on that note um it's been wonderful to be with you all and be with you steve and have this conversation this evening and our hope was to that it, that this evening would be um, both educational for all of us, I've learned, um, and also inspiring. Um, not in a way of bringing up fear, but inspiration of us starting to think about what future may look like, and we're all a part of it. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs and Performances. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website, ciis.edu slash podcast. <laughs>